If you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 for our reading this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book, the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all could understand that they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashabanan, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodeah, Messiah, Kelida, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has no, nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, what a privilege indeed it is to be here this morning and to hear from you through your word. May we rejoice as these people did to hear from you, to understand what you're saying to your people, to us. Lord, be with Brother Brad. Lord, be with him as he comes up to expound on your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you give him the wisdom, the clarity of thought, the clarity of speech to speak your word. May our, eye, may our ears, our, our minds, and our hearts be open to receive it and to apply that which we hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
want to thank Matt for reading that this morning. I wanted to make sure all his Bible school had really helped him as he got through all those names. It was an amazing job he did there. This morning we're going to talk about the Word of the Lord and how it is the Word of the Lord that rebuilds the people of God. As I said last week and every week before, if this book, if this book is not about building walls... It is about rebuilding the people of God. If it were about rebuilding walls, this book would have ended in chapter 6 when they completed the wall. Instead, we're now getting into the part that God wanted them to get into in the first place. To teach them the word of the Lord to rebuild the people. And I believe that we are in a time in our world, I don't know if it's ever not been a time, but I can't imagine it being much worse, where the people of the Lord need to be rebuilt. A lack of understanding about the Word of God abounds throughout evangelicalism, throughout our churches. People do not know what the Word of the Lord says. There is little understanding of what it means to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. There is not much clarity on what it means to lay down our life in order to follow Him. And our churches are marked as a whole, not by holiness, but by political stances and by celebrity pastors. We are not known to the world as a holy people. We are known to the world as an activist people. And that's a problem. And it grieves me. I'm troubled by these things, deeply troubled. We are being led astray as a church by our appetites and by our fears and by our desperate need to cling to the things of this world. And we are not advancing humility in the kingdom of Christ as a whole across the country. We are losing our witness. And what do we do about it? What do we do here? We are small, and even we ourselves are distracted by the things that come to pass. How do we make a difference here in this place? And how would we even know if a revival came? One of the ways that we can see that revival comes, and the way we are changed, is that the people of God have a desire for the Word of God. What it says here is in chapter 8, verse 1, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate and they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law and read it to them. The people told, your translation may say told or asked. The the point is that the people began to ask Ezra, who was a priest, to bring the word of God and read it to them. And when that begins to happen, then I think revival can start in the hearts of the people. It was not Ezra and Nehemiah forcing the word of God on the people as much as it was them coming to ask for it. And I want you to notice that first the walls were built and then they came to ask for the word of God to be read. Isn't it interesting that Nehemiah, knowing that the people needed the word of God, the first priority on his list was to rebuild the wall. Why? If his goal was to rebuild the people, why did he begin with wall and then begin teaching God's word in earnest? Why do you think that that is? Well, certainly during the rebuilding of this wall, there were priests there who were administering the people and teaching them the word. Even Nehemiah, when he spoke to them, admonished them, saying that the Lord their God would be with them, that he would not abandon them, and that they should be strong in doing the work. So, of course, teaching was going on while this was happening. But in chapter 8, the people begin to ask for it. There's now a serious inquiry into the word of God. And why did the wall come first? And there's several reasons, I believe, for this. It is very difficult for a starving man to listen to the Word of God. 
Because when he has an empty stomach, his body, his mind is going to be focused on where his food is going to come from. It's hard for someone who is homeless, shivering in the cold, or fainting away from the heat to be able to listen to the gospel tract you're trying to give them. It's difficult for the abused to hear the gospel until there's deliverance from the abuser. Their minds are not going to be there until we help them. When injustice and fear reign, it is difficult for the gospel to take root. I'm not saying it can. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm not saying that these things are more important than the gospel. I'm saying that when you're lost and hungry, the thing you're worried about is bread. It is hard to receive the bread of life when your stomach is empty. If a person's house is on fire, you would do well to grab a hose and help them put it out. There's a time for everything, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes. If you saw someone's house on fire and you grabbed a hose to help them put it out, you might be able to talk to them afterwards. But if you came preaching and with no water hose, you might be ignored until the emergency was over. And rightfully so. God forbid that you should hear me say that the gospel is less important than these things. But I am saying that if all we are concerned about is talking to them and not helping them, then we do not demonstrate the love that we should. Of course, preaching is paramount, but Jesus also went about healing the sick, taking care of the poor, watching for the widows and the orphans is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. When people suffer in the flesh, especially the lost, we would do well to care for them, body and soul. And when the humiliation is taken away here in the book of Nehemiah, when the walls are built and the people are secure and they've seen that God has been the one who rebuilt their wall and through it began rebuilding their lives, they wanted to hear more about the God of Israel. He was at work in the building of the wall. But as I said before, the wall was not the thing of importance. The people didn't actually need a wall to defend Jerusalem. God can do it. He doesn't need walls to keep the enemy out. But he's not just rebuilding a wall. He's using the rebuilding of a wall to build his people. When the immediate threat of war and extermination was alleviated, the people saw God's gracious work among them and they became hungry again for the word of God who had done marvelous things in their midst. The people asked for it. The preachers didn't just bring it to them, they came for it. And I have seen these things with my own eyes, working among the poor and the refugees in Lebanon especially. Muslims who people said were impossible to reach when the Syrians came into Lebanon as refugees. They fled in fear of their lives with nothing. And out of compassion, our friends, the Tods, began to clothe them, to feed them, to ransom their babies from the hospital. Brought blankets and bought and brought blankets for those who were shivering in the cold. They procured milk for babies. They helped educate children who were out of school and had been for years and no one cared. And along the way, they began to plant seeds of the gospel and these people began to be hungry for the word which was preached in the church. And they've come to hear it by the hundreds. That's not preacher talk, that's a fact. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen Muslim women bring to me their babies to pray over them in Jesus' name because they were sick. Why was that? It's because they didn't only 
end up tracks, but because they cared about where they were and cared for them as persons in the image of God. That's how we create a desire for the Word of God is when they see us act as Christ would have us act. Revival comes when people desire the Word. We want to do everything in our power to be so much like Jesus that they desire to hear it from us. People desired the Word of God, and second, the teachers gave it meaning. The Bible says here they went to the water gate and they began to read the Word of God at dawn and they were still reading the Word of God at lunch and no one apparently had gone home. They read for, four, for six, seven hours straight. And the teachers came and helped the people understand what the Word of God taught. I'm sure they read for a while and the people spoke to them. For Not all of them spoke the same language or they didn't understand the Word of God in their own tongue as they once had. The people had been in captivity, remember. Some of them returned. Maybe they were speaking Aramaic. Maybe some of them spoke Persian. Maybe they didn't understand the Hebrew of their forefathers. And the people had to come in their midst and give them the meaning of what was heard. Many of us in here have the ability to teach and all of us should help others understand the Word of God better. And I'm not talking about just teaching a Sunday school class or preaching on Sunday morning. Not necessarily. Something like a community group. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about using whatever influence you have to help people understand the Bible better because I'm telling you that even people who attend church do not understand what's in the Word. Their eyes have not been opened to it. They've not been taught through it. They've been given moral therapeutic lessons from the Word of God about just how to be a healthy, happy person. I hope that you do become a healthy, happy person. But they've not been taught what the Word of the Lord has said to His people. And it is our job to steer them to the Word to say, is this what the Lord says or not? And you'll be surprised if you keep your ears open how often you can engage someone with scriptural truth when the word of the Lord would have an impact and make a difference in their lives. And the way you will be able to hear that opportunity and be able to drop those nuggets of truth in their life is if you care for them as a person. Because if you care for them as a person, they'll begin to speak to you about things which are important to them and you will be able to apply the word of God to their life, whether they listen to you or not. You will hear it and you will speak it and they will believe that it comes from a place of love and not just a place of dominance and wish to control. You'll be surprised. Listen to what people are talking about. Hear what their fears are. Know what's hurting them. And the word of God will be like the balm in Gilead. You can apply it to their hearts and their souls. They will hear and they will listen. The teachers came and gave the meaning to the people. And that can be and must be you. You have to hear the word of God, read the word of God, know the word of the Lord. He will grow you, change you, change others through you. They went about and they began to give the people the word of the Lord. So the word was rebuilding the people of Judah. The teachers were rebuilding the people of Judah through giving meaning to the word, explaining to the people what the law of Moses meant, what the promises were attached to it, what the curses were attached to it, why they were where they were. And the word of the Lord led them to worship and repentance. This is the end result of a people who've embraced the word 
worship and repentance. What effect does the Word of God have on the people here? They begin to read the Bible at dawn. And as they are reading and giving the meaning of the Word, the people are weeping and worshiping and they are yelling, Amen, Amen. Every time the Word of the Lord is read, they are listening, they are captured by it. They are worshiping the Lord. They are falling on their faces, the Bible says here, as they are being read. Now, listen, what are they reading to them? They're reading where you always quit. <laughs> They're reading where we give up. They're reading Genesis. Oh, man, we, we did good that first couple of hours. Exodus, we were good run up to what? About chapter 20. And then the big bag of laws falls. And, man, these people stood there not only for Genesis and half of Exodus. They're listening to Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. And they are saying amen and they are weeping because they know they have not kept the law of God. And yet all the promises of God are there for them. They hear about their father Abraham who is blessed and that through him and through his people all nations would be blessed. And they are encouraged that even though they have been in this despondent, terrible time where the walls have been broken down, that once again God has returned to them, rebuilt their walls and is beginning to gather their people together again. They are seeing the fulfillment of the promises of God before their very eyes. There is now hope where there is, was no hope. And they are weeping because the reason they are where they are is because they were not faithful to the God of Israel, to the God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Look at verse 6. What does it say? Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And with their uplifted hands, all the people said, Amen, Amen. And they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I long for people, for myself, to see the word of God have this effect upon me to break us free from this world and fix our minds on heaven to fill our hearts with repentance, humility and love such that we will see the ways in which we have been selfish and overlook the needs of others to where it will break our hearts. I long to see the truths of God penetrate our souls so that we can see God for who He is and the love He bears and the mercy He has towards us and the world. And the flip side of seeing who God is, when you see God for who He is, what is the reaction of every single person in the Bible when they see God? They are all terrified, dismayed, undone. Every single time. Why is that? It is not only because God is great and awesome and scary, but it is also because they are not. Listen to the confession of Isaiah when he walks into the temple in Isaiah chapter 6 and he sees the Lord God of Israel. His worry is not that he's going to be squashed like a bug in the sense that God is big and I am small and he's fixing to smush me. What is his concern when he sees the holy God of Israel? Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Amongst the people of unclean lips. And I am ruined. When he saw the holiness of God, the thing that was brought to his mind was that he was unholy, that he was a sinner. What happens when Peter recognizes who Jesus is? He sees him from afar the first time they met, I mean. He says, put your net, children, on the right side of the boat. You'll catch a bunch of fish, right? We fished all night. We haven't caught anything. 
But at your word, we'll let the nets down. And Peter lets the nets down. They catch so many that the nets are breaking. They have to call James and John, the sons of Zebedee, over to haul in the catch. And something clicks in Peter's mind. He thinks, oh, no. He falls down on his face in the boat. And what does he say? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Daniel, you may remember him. What did he ever do wrong? What in the Bible do you ever see where Daniel did wrong? And what happens when the angel comes from the presence of God? What does he do in the presence of the Lord? He confesses his sins and the sins of his fathers. What does John do on the island of Patmos when he sees the Lord? He falls down like a dead man and the Lord says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. This is the effect that the word of God has on people when we see God for who he is. Because when you see God for who he is, you will know what you should be. What you were made for to reflect that image and you will know you do not. And then you will know and see the mercy of God. Because he always has mercy on his children. He never leaves nor forsakes them. After all the people had went through, when the people began to hear the word of the Lord, they repented. They began to weep and cry. Their hearts were broken. But the Lord is gracious. He had seen enough of his people's humiliation. And he commanded them through the priest, stop crying. Don't weep today. Not today. Today is a day of celebration. Today is a day of joy. And let the joy of the Lord be your strength. So go home and feast. Drink the wine. If anybody doesn't have food, send them some. Today we are celebrating what God has done in our midst. Their iniquities and sin had been overlooked. Their sins had been forgiven. The people were weeping and mourning because they understood themselves to be the lawbreakers that they were. But the Lord, the lawgiver, said, not today. Not today, my people. Today we celebrate. For the Lord has come to be with his people. Not today, children. We celebrate your return today. This reminds me very much of the parable of the prodigal son. How the people here returning to the Lord weeping and crying out because they had broken the law of God and knew that they were unworthy sons and daughters. They knew what it was as the priest began to read the word. They began to hear things that was breaking their heart. And as the priest came among them and said, yes, this is what this means. This is the love of God for us. And this is the covenant he gave to us. And this is how our people have broken it. And they knew that their people had broken it. They knew that they had broken it. There was a young man once whose father gave him his inheritance before he even died because he demanded it of him. We're not going to talk about the big brother today. We're going to talk about little brother. He ran away, took all the money and partied it up. Had a bunch of friends, spent big money, had big times. Ate and drank away his substance in the King James, it says, with riotous living. It was party every day, all the time for the younger son, and that's what he wanted the money for. 
And one day the money ran out. And strangely, when the money ran out, the friends also ran out and everything else ran out. And he was so hungry. He was working with pigs, which was disgusting for a Jew, for they were unclean, right? His only job he could find is working as a swine herder. And he was so hungry and in such need that he wanted to eat the slop that the men gave to the pigs. That's where he had come to. And he began to re- he realized, I am an idiot. That's what it says in the Hebrew. I'm a fool. I mean, my father's servants have more than I could dream of now. I'm eating pig slop. I'm going to go home and see if my dad will hire me. I'll just be one of his servants. I'm not worthy to be his son. So he goes home in mourning and weeping. And what does the father do? What did these people do? Here's the thing, child of God. You never stop being a child of God. No matter where you've been, no matter if you've wallowed with the swine, no matter if you've wasted your substance with righteous living, when you come home, you don't get to be one of the hired servants. You are still the child that the Father was looking for. Put... He he ran to his son. He had looked for him every day. And when he returned, he put his ring on his finger, put a robe on his back and said, kill the fatted calf for my son who was lost is now found, who was dead is alive again, and we are going to have a party. And that's what the son liked, right? To party. It's a different kind of party. This was a party, not like the world throws, but as the father throws. Just so you know, the Father's not against parties. They have celebrations in heaven every day. All the time. Every single time a person repents, they have a party in heaven. So the Lord calls on them to come home. They are still children of Abraham. They are still the apple of his eye. They are still the people he has watched over. And he has watched over them from the time that they descended into the bowels of their sin and into the place where the pigs would eat. He was with them. And when he scattered them to Syria and when he scattered them to Persia, when he scattered them to Babylon, he was still with them until they were broken, until they were sick of eating the stuff that the pigs ate. And then he comes to them compassionately and rebuilds them because he never ceases to be their father. The Lord is building his people and he does it through the word. All of these things are true. They were true of them, they are true of us. And the Lord's people today, we have so many things. So there are so many tools that can be used for evil and for good. But Satan is using them for evil. And the church is being pulled apart by its fears and its worries. Me and mine. We sound like pirates sometimes. Take all you can and give nothing back. That the pirate's creed. And what does Jesus say? Give it all away and don't worry about it. It's a different creed, y'all. It's a different king. He who seeks to keep his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He called on his disciples to leave mother and father and land and all of that stuff. Follow me. 
And what did he say? Your reward will be great in heaven. Don't worry about it. When you go out preaching, just take a staff, bring some sandals. That's it. You don't need anything else. I'm going to take care of you. (laughs) If we could understand that this place is not our home, that the most valuable thing that surrounds us are the hearts and minds of others, we would live different lives. And so the Lord calls for His church today just as He called for His people in the Old Testament. Same thing, same love, same people. He doesn't care about skin color and birth and all those things. What He he looks for is someone who trembles at His word. That's what He's always looked for. Today He just says, come home. Come home, child. You've heard the word. You know where you've broken it. Come home. Today would be a day of rejoicing. Today would be a day of feasting. Today would be a day of joy and laughter. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, he said. Believe also in me. Yes, an invitation for you. Every last one of you. Myself included. Go to Jesus. Let him rebuild you through his word, his promises, and his love. Dig in to the feast which he's prepared for you through his scripture. It's not all easy, but it's all worth it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you will rebuild us as a people as you have always done. You are building your people and always have by the word of your mouth. In the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth by the word of your mouth. By the breath of your mouth, you made the stars in the sky and the deep beneath. And Lord, when when the time was right, you came to save us by your word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. I pray this morning you will rejuvenate us through your Word, the living Word, that we will be changed, that our hearts will be full of joy because you are rebuilding us in the image of Christ, the shattered image which has been broken by sin is being put together piece by piece so that we can be reflectors of your glory and your holiness. Lord, be with us this morning. If there's one troubled heart here this morning, comfort them by your Spirit. Woo them through your love. Help them to see Jesus in his glory. Change their hearts. Save them from this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.